All right, welcome to another segment of Let's Talk UNLV. You with co-host Keith and Renee. Renee, how's it going? How was your weekend? My weekend is going great. I'm getting my list for Santa to come through. So, um, you know. Renee, hold on. You, hold on. you trying to say you've been nice? Yes, <clears throat> yes. Like the nicety? Like nicety? Like Michelle A? <laughs> no, no, no. I have been good all year oh. long. And so I'm ready for Santa to come through. So I'm, you know, putting out my wish list. I got my sorors to let them know it's what I want. <laughs> got mom and what's, you know, and even stepdad. Come on, stepdad. You got to come through too. Okay. You make sure there's you no know, overlap got, in the gifts. Right? Got, got, my, gifts. got my partner. I even told my staff. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I've been good there too, right? So so that takes some thoughtful consideration so there's no overlap and duplication of gifts, right? Well, if it's Cheesecake Factory, you can't get enough gift cards to the Cheesecake Factory. So that's one I'll continue to, you know, get more gift cards. But what so, about you? So gift cards are an acceptable means of gift exchange? It is always the right <laughs> amount. <laughs> you can never go wrong with that, right? What about you? Well, you know, I was dealing with a sick kiddo all weekend, dealing oh. with the crew. But, you know, but he's uh, he's doing better now. He's back in school. But, you know, all the while I'm thinking, OK, it's two weeks before Christmas. <laughs> I need to be out doing Christmas shopping. So I'm str I'm stressing. I've been stressing all weekend mm -hmm. because I'm already a last minute gift shopper. Ooh. And, you know, now everybody said, oh, no, you know, things are taking two, three, four weeks. You may have already missed your window to order stuff. That's so I'm true. really now. I got to go out and brave the That's stores. True. And I'm just, I'm, so, I'm, so I'm dreading that. So you might just take some empty boxes and just wrap them. <laughs> just just, me, to, get, just <laughs> to get the illusion that we're going to be all right. Now, let me tell you, before I got married, I had the fake Christmas tree. Okay. I had my fake presents. Okay. I could just bring things out of the closet. Two minutes. I had Christmas yeah. set up in the house. Yeah. Because <clears throat> you got little ones. So, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, Rebecca quickly disabused me of that behavior. She's like, okay. no, no, no. We got to have real trees and real presents. You can't be doing that nonsense <laughs> stuff that you were doing when you were single. <clears throat> but, you know, just thinking about, you know, challenges and conflicts that we all face and some of those stresses that come into us, you know, during the holiday season, you know, who better to have than our UNLV ombudsman. I couldn't agree. I might need right. a couple of tips. <clears throat> oh, yeah. We always need some <laughs> tips, right? <laughs> so uh, we have Dr. Dave Schwartz with us, who's an ombuds, and then he's also the campus mediator. Dave, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's, it's great to be here. Could you could share a little bit with the listeners about how you sort of got into this role and or to the university, for that matter? Yeah, well, I've been at UNLV since 2001. I came in to direct the Center for Gaming Research. Out of a, out of a, had a background working in the casino industry and also as a researcher. You know, with a PhD in history, my dissertation was about the development of casinos in Vegas. So it really was a great move to help oversee that collection that helps people study about that. And um, I later moved into faculty affairs, and then when President Whitfield announced that. He was going to be bringing back the Ombuds office. I decided to apply for that, and I'm very fortunate that he chose me for the position. All right, so tell our listeners, what is the Ombuds office or the Ombuds position? Okay, uh, the Ombuds office, well, I'll, I'll circle back a little bit by saying an organizational Ombuds is somebody who basically helps other people in their organization solve problems informally, so not going to HR 
not going to legal, just solving the problems before they get to that space. And the ombuds office is organized around that principle, that it's a place where people can go when they have anything at all that's keeping them from being as happy and productive as they can be on campus. And we can talk about possible solutions. We can also do things like mediation, where we bring people together to talk through their problems. We also have facilitated conversations with whole units and whole departments where they want to talk about where they're heading. So really, it's an office about helping people get empowered to resolve the issues that they're seeking to bring. And so let's stay there. So when these problems, issues are not resolved, in your experience, what becomes the outcome for that organization? Well, it's never really good. You know, if you think about it, too, a lot of things that start as small issues end up getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So they'll kind of snowball and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think the key is if you can get people to start talking when they still can talk about it, when they're still open to talking, you just have a much easier task because then once you get past a certain point, people aren't as willing to forgive and forget, and that's when it gets very difficult to find a resolution. So is there ever a right time to say, this is the time to bring in the ombuds? Because you said, you know, you don't want to get too far down the road where now, you know, the individuals are not willing to talk. So is there like a window of time, you know, within 60 days of the conflict. <laughs> That's when you need to bring the ombuds in. I mean, is there anything from a professional uh, organizational lens or from your own experience that you would say you wouldn't want to, you know, go past this time frame to bring in, you know, a resource like yourself? Well, I think the office really can support people in any stage of a conflict that they're in. You know, obviously, I think it's best for everybody if you bring it in early. So I would say, hey, as soon as there's something that bothers you, you can make an appointment and talk with me as the ombuds, and we can talk through what your options are, and you can just get <clears throat> another set of eyes and ears on it. You know, if people are past the point where they can talk, you know, I'm still here to support them as employees for what they're going to do next and where, what they're, you know, how they are going to try to resolve the problem at that stage. Now, Dave, I apologize. I'm going back to your introduction. <laughs> I get sure. stuck on some little things sometimes. Now, you mentioned about researching casinos in Vegas. Now, through your research at all, did you figure out any tips and strategies for, <laughs> for us gamers? <laughs> gamers and well, gamblers. I mean, if, if I had, I, I think my net worth would be a lot higher than it is today. You know, <laughs> basically, there's no real trick or anything. You know, I think the probably the, the best advice that I've ever gotten I've, I've ever seen people give is, you know, set limits on how much you gamble and, you know, just don't let it take over. I, I think those are good things because the casino games are all negative expectation games. So over your lifetime, the player is probably not going to win. You know, poker, that's another story. You know, players can win because that's a game of skill against other players. You know, but even that you have to be careful with. Yeah, cause, you know, I'm reflecting back on my undergrad days taking finite math, and that was what we did, calculate the odds of all the different <clears throat> games at that time. And despite all the people who come visit in Vegas, nobody believes that. <laughs> nobody <laughs> believes what you just said. So everybody's always trying to work an angle. So whenever I, mm -hmm. whenever I hear someone who's an expert in any capacity, I always ask that question just to give me some additional ammunition to try to dissuade some of my friends and families who come here thinking they're going to leave rich or, you know, break us. So... <clears throat> So the casino's not built on yeah. paying out. <laughs> but now yeah, I, get, I mean, I think the best, 
Oh, the best way people can approach that is the only thing you really control as a player, you don't control the odds, you don't, don't control that. You do control how long you play for. And there's a thing called volatility, volatility where the, you, know, you can either lose a bunch or win a bunch in a short amount of time. And the thing is, over time, that evens out, and that's going to benefit the casino. So if you just play for a half hour, at the end of that half hour, you might be up a lot or you might be down. But if you stop playing, then... You then, you know, if you're winning and you stop playing, you've used volatility to your advantage. That's really the only thing you can do. But if you just keep on grinding it out and out and out, eventually, you know, you probably will lose all your money. Renee's giving me that look like get back on topic. So let me <clears throat> let me let me transition back after I digress. So I wanted to to pick up on, you know, with this role as ombudsman, is there like what sort of training or professional development do you undergo to position you to be an expert to be able to support staff and departments in this way that you described? Oh, I, I sure can. There's really robust professional development. There's a lot of stuff that I've done. There's an organization called the International Ombuds Association, and they run several programs. The most intense one is their foundations program, which I'm a graduate of, and that is the standard training people get. There's also an additional certification called the co-op certification. It's certified organizational ombuds practitioner that you have to be practicing for a year to get, but I'm looking forward to getting that after I've been in the role for a year. And part of the obligation of that is doing additional professional development and staying current with everything in the field. And then one of the things that, you know, whenever as supervisors, when we're dealing with challenges and issues, you know, confidentiality is always <clears throat> a concern. Could you speak a little bit about how that unfolds within the frame of your work? If, as staff come to you with different concerns before it becomes formal, and then secondly, are conversations that staff might have with you be will that information be shared when it, when the formal process kicks in? Possibly. Okay, the confidentiality is really important. It's one of the four ethical principles of the International Ombuds Association, and as an organizational ombuds, it's something that I adhere to in my own practice. And basically what it means is that unless somebody says something that signals that there's the imminent risk of serious harm, I don't share what we talked about with anybody. You know, there is another possible exception. If somebody is discussing something and it looks like it's a systemic issue, I may ask their permission to bring it to the attention of leadership. And, you know, I make it very clear to them, if I do this and disclose this, you know, you, this might be revealed, is it okay? You know, only in that case would I say something. You know, other than that, I'm not going to. And for me, it's, it's absolute. You know, you can't, you know, violate that and continue to practice. So it's, I take that very seriously. So throughout, like, a typical week, how many cases are you uh, having that involve students versus classified, then, you know, admin faculty. I'm just trying to get a sense of, you know, what percentage of your time is being devoted to working with different campus constituents. Sure. Um, I would say a minority of the time is with students because we mostly deal with employee concerns. So it would only be students in their role as employees, as student employees. So I'd say maybe that's 5 to 10%. 
Uh, the next biggest area is classified staff. I think we could get better utilization by classified staff. So, I, um, you know, my math is not going to be really great in this. You know, so I'd say they're the next part. You know, after that, you have administrative faculty, and then academic faculty are probably making the most use right now. But I would like to see that shift and have the classified staff and admin make higher use of the office, as well as the student employees. And so do you ever get the sense um, that when these conflicts are happening, um, it, it ultimately goes back and it impacts students? Or uh, am I totally out of line by making that assumption that since this is a campus <clears throat> and our mission is to serve students, that regardless of any kind of conflict, that somehow students are going to be uh, um, impacted uh, because this conflict has ensued? Yeah, you know, Renee, I mean, that's really an excellent point, because even if it's just a question of two people having a conflict and it's taking them an extra hour to get something done, that's an hour that they're not spending focused on serving the students. So I feel that, you know, anything to the extent that there's any conflicts happening, it's negatively impacting the student experience. So that's why I think it's a good thing that President Whitfield has devoted the resources to this office to help resolve a lot of these conflicts. And then if you had to maybe estimate, like what percentage of the, the conflicts that come across your desk are able to be resolved at your level rather than sort of escalating to, into a formal process? That can be difficult to answer because it may be a matter of somebody not getting along with their supervisor and they come for some coaching and we work through things, but it's not like they're going to suddenly get a certification saying, okay, you now get along with your supervisor. So there's a lot of times there's not an end point. It's just giving people tools to help cope better. You know, that being said, I have had a lot of positive feedback from people who've used the office who said that it has been very helpful. You know, and there are cases where we have done things like the structured mediation, where we have had facilitated conversations where there is a definite endpoint and people have had successes, they're able to communicate better, and in general, they're happier at work. So when you meet with students, what are typically the range of concerns that you see? I mean, is it, you know, uh, uh, my professor and I don't get along to the grade or because, uh, you know, I'm having a roommate conflict or I mean, what, you know, or my uh, supervisor through my, you know, student staff position, we're having, uh, you know, unhealthy communication kind of what are the kinds of ways that you typically meet with students? For me, it's and right now, as the office is structured now, it's pretty much exclusively employment-related stuff. Mm-hmm. So issues with the supervisor, issues with other student employees or other employees, you know, that's all we're doing. That's all we're doing now. You know, I can see there being value in expanding the office to handle student, student conflicts and things like that in the future. You know, that might be a very good idea. But right now we're handling employment stuff. And so right there, what might be some, you know, things that you would share to our student listeners about ways that they can um, minimize the conflict even before it gets to you. Things that they may not even consider are ways that they can take as, you know, in their own agency, if you will, uh, to, you know, minimize the conflict. Because there is a power dynamic, uh, but there's still ways that they can, um, I'm sure that you can share, that would be helpful that they may not be aware of if they're, you know, ever uh, uh, having a conflict. 
Yeah, sure. I think it all depends on who it's with. I think if it's with a professor or an instructor, they have to think about what are that person's goals for the class and how can they align their the student's interests with the instructor's interests. And I mean, that's something I try to focus people on looking at is, you know, how do you align your interests? You know, if everybody's dedicated to student success, how do we make sure that we're all working for that you know, in a way that complements each other as opposed to detracts from one another. So I think that's a very important approach. Mm-hmm. Another one is to have empathy and realize that, hey, you know, I'm having a bad day. Maybe this person is having a bad day, too. And, you know, just giving them a little bit of time, giving them a little bit of extra consideration. And, you know, I think sometimes that goes a long way. It's great having those tools to sort of self-guide. But then when you do have an issue where, you know, like if I'm dealing with a with a bossy co-host on my podcast, Dr. Watson, and I need some some coaching or I need you to schedule a mediation session, intervention, intervention Well, he already session. told you that it's confidential. So if I didn't come to if I didn't go to Dave about you, you wouldn't know about it anyway. <laughs> but how would how would how would you how would listeners contact you to schedule um, coaching sessions or mediation? Oh, there's a tons of ways. Uh, ways. First of all, phone is 702-895-1823. Our email is ombuds, O-M-B-U-D-S, at unlv.edu. You know, that's the best way to reach out. We also have an online uh, contact form and Google Calendar slots on the website, which is www.unlv.edu slash ombuds. So a lot of ways for people to get in touch. Now, Dave, you had some conversation with Dr. Watson. So so how many sessions do you think I'm going to need with you <laughs> to sort of continue this podcast? <laughs> oh, you didn't well, know? Think, you, know you, you, you missed it. You know, we um, met about you and he, we fixed it. You didn't even know. You, he's so good. You didn't even know. I, Things I, I, have I, gotten a little better. You know, I've seen some... <clears throat> It's all going to depend on what what, what Christmas so, gift I get from you. That that right. that that'll have a huge impact on my okay. disposition after the holidays. All right, toward all right. the podcast. Yeah, I think the the focus is you know this is it's not like there's ever an end goal. It's always you know working with each other and being attentive to the people around us is something we can always be concerned about. So I think there's always a little bit of work to be done in that. But it is good once you get in that place where things are clicking really well. And is that sort of the initial goal from your perspective? or through the informal process to be able to give the individuals or or units additional skills so that they can resolve these things themselves. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of what I like to to talk about when I work with people is, okay, let's think think about the outcome that you want. What do you want? And then work backwards from there on what's your best way to get there. And for a lot of times, that involves people maybe being a little bit of patient, maybe being a little bit more patient. You know, yes, if somebody's being frustrated, you may be tempted to snap at them or something like that. But is that going to serve your ultimate goal, whatever that is? So a lot of it's just helping people sit down and think about things strategically. And where do you want to go? And then how are you going to get there? So there might be some folks who say, you know, that's all well and good, Dave, but I really wouldn't feel comfortable having you come into my organization or working with my staff team or just even making you aware that a conflict exists. I'm afraid that, you know, it may look poorly on my leadership skills or reflect poorly on my evaluation. And I I hear you, but um, this seems, you know, a bit risky for me to air the dirty laundry, if you will. What what advice would you give to, to those? What would be your, what would be your response? 
Well, I would say, first of all, in the Ombuds Charter, which President Whitfield signed, there is a protection against retaliation. And the charter specifically says the university and its agents will not retaliate against people for using the office. You know, also, as I make clear when I meet with with leadership at all levels, is that using the office is totally voluntary. You can't evaluate somebody negatively for doing mediation or for not doing mediation. You know, you can never hold that against them. So it starts there. You basically have nothing to lose. Also, if you just visit the office and, again, want to have that outside perspective on something, that's always completely confidential. So nobody would even know. So I'm intrigued. You held a Ombuds Week. Uh, you know, kind of share with us what were some of those activities and what was your reason for having the Ombuds Week? Yeah, well, we have, so Ombuds Day is an internationally recognized day. And I remember I went to President Whitfield and said, I'd like to do some activities for it. And he said, well, do you have anything else? Because I think this could be something bigger. So that's how Ombuds Week was born. And I think, you know, again, I thank him for his leadership and his vision, because that really spurred me to broaden the scope. And instead of just doing, you know, activities in one day, we had activities throughout the week. So we had a role play exercise, which was a lot of fun, where people could experiment with the conflict styles and learn about how different people approach conflict. We had an open house. We did a game break with Professor Tina Vo at the Faculty Center, which was really, I think, one of the more fun things where <laughs> Professor Vo walked us through some games that deal with conflict and competition. So really, it was just a chance for people to understand a little bit more about conflict and to take a slightly different view of it. And could you share a little bit about, you know, since you've been in this role and looking at the component of your portfolio that deals with like advocacy for change, could you talk a little bit about your role in the campus assessment efforts and how you look at that information? And are there some common themes of concerns that are shaping and informing your approach for how you support this effort for the for the next academic year? Yeah, you know, I think one of the, you know, there's some common things like communication tends to be problematic, you know, in many areas. And I think that's something that probably isn't a surprise to people, but there's ways we can improve that. And I see my role in the campus assessment as being that neutral third party who can offer some insights, you know, in those things. And also, I think it's just a matter of reporting things that I do see and bring it to the attention of campus leadership from somebody who's not aligned with any other, you know, organization on campus. So it's coming at it from that neutral position. So it doesn't really have anything to gain either way. So I feel like it's that, you know, validating in a way a lot of the concerns that are already being shared. And so looking ahead, because I know this is, you know, relatively new, how will you define success? I mean, what will be the ways that you look back and say, this is where we started. This is how I inherited this, uh, th this role. Um, and then here's how I'm going to report out our points of pride, um, our ways of showing that we are needed and making a difference um, in the uh, ways that campus communication has improved, both organizationally and departmentally, uh, individual, uh, you know, uh, ways through the methods that you've shared. So, so how will you uh, gauge your success? Well, I think there's a couple of different ways you can measure success for the office. Number one, I think, is access. Do people feel comfortable going to the office? So we'll be looking at 
not only the numbers of people visiting the office, but looking at the demographics and which parts of the campus are being overutilized or overutilizing or underutilizing the office, and then reaching out to those communities that are underutilizing it. So I think, number one, do people feel comfortable bringing their concerns here? You know, if we get to a place where people are that would be a tremendous success. I mean, the other one is harder to measure, but it's do people feel happier being on campus in general? Are the employees happier to be here? You know, that's that's a big one. And there's some small successes you can see where somebody might have been thinking of leaving, but they then were able to have a conversation with somebody and they turned things around. You know, those are the little ones. But I think overall you want to see how does are people or employees generally more satisfied with UNLV than they were last year or the year before that. And then they will get you out of here on this final question and we will give you the last word. Is there anything that you want to share with the listeners that we didn't cover that's important to you or, you know, reflective of the work that you're doing in your office or your philosophy and how you approach your work? Um, Yeah, I think it's just really important for people to realize that, you know, the office is a resource for them. This This serves all employees, including student employees. And if there's anything that's keeping you from being as happy and productive as you want to be, you know, this is a place to come to share those concerns. There's really nothing too small or too big. And, you know, worst case scenario, you have somebody to listen to you for an hour or so, and you can bounce ideas off of them. Other things that I can do is direct them towards other resources or do a mediation or do that facilitated conversation. So there's really you know, a lot of positive that can come out of the office if they choose to visit it. All right. Thank you, Dave. Renee, what were some of your key takeaways from today's session? I think I underscored uh, the, the value of this office and <clears throat> that it is a strategic way to really tackle the, you know, problems that we're seeing and to also uh, convey what are some of the common themes that are maybe plaguing um, staff from working together from, you know, that could prevent us from reaching top tier 2025 and or um, other, you know, university uh, goals. I think also these resources can be so costly. You know, you think about how we would be spending the monies uh, to try to bring these uh, issues to a resolve and to know that we have this <clears throat> dedicated resource, I think, mm-hmm. is another way to strategically think about how to minimize these conflicts and minimize the other expenditures that will come by way of, of, um, of these conflicts not being resolved. And then lastly, um, I'm going to challenge uh, Dave to think about one way to measure the success is that those who utilize these services, do they report not feeling alone? I'm telling you as someone who's been on both sides mm-hmm. of, you know, being in the conflict, but also having to say, how do I help manage a conflict from someone that uh, I supervise and it's yeah. their staff that's going <clears throat> in, knowing that you're not alone in these, <laughs> you know, in these situations and you could have someone be a sounding board or someone to give you other tools that you're unfamiliar, you know, with that may be helpful is uh, is 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 uh, priceless, and and so I, I'm curious to know um, how many folks that uh, utilize this office will walk away seeing you know saying that I didn't feel you know I, I was out there by myself. And you have mm-hmm. so many you know faculty and staff that are at different levels of their career, <laughs> you know, right? And so and then students who may be having a conflict at this level 
that they've never experienced before. And so to, to know that we have this, I think is really, really um, important. Yeah, and I agree. And, you know, and, you know, although we may think we understand and know what the Ombuds office is about, but just always hearing it directly from that office in terms of <clears throat> what their role is and how they support all UNLV stakeholders is, is, is always important to continue to educate the UNLV community because we do have so many new students coming in and new staff coming in, staff leaving and staff working in different capacities and may not get connected in those important ways to these types of resources. I think the more we can promote and advertise that these resources are available, it really helps reduce the conflict. And I think the other part for me that's important <clears throat> that Dave shared is just recognizing that, you know, everything that you share is confidential unless, you know, what he said. Otherwise, it may mm -hmm. uh, rise to the level that it has to be shared if there's some imminent uh, danger or things like that. But just, you know, he's there to support and give you just additional coaching confidentially, give you additional resources. And then to be able to just to mediate on a larger scale is, is, is incredibly, incredibly important to the work that we do, especially when you're supervising others and just giving you those additional tools. And, and it was surprising to hear just about the training that Dave has underwent and mm -hmm. then just the yeah. certification process to do this, this important work. Cause I can only imagine how challenging it can be to, to do this type of work. So, and I'm sure that human resources and general counsel appreciates. Oh, absolutely. They want Faculty you to be as, as, in, as effective <laughs> yeah. as you can. And I'll probably student conduct too, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, absolutely. So Dave, the more successful you are, the more successful we are in all these other lanes. So we certainly wish and well support put. and provide you all the support that, that's possible for you to be successful in, in all the things that we do. So. Even though many of those things go under the radar and they're intangible to measure, but we know that you're, you're impactful in the work that you do. So, All right. Thanks. I appreciate that. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of KUNV Let's Talk UNLV. For my co-host, Keith, I'm Renee. Tune in next week, Wednesday at 12, on KUNV 91.5 Jazz and More. That's a wrap. That's a wrap.